Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin returns to Israel to discuss the operations in Gaza. What messages does he bring? The biggest Hamas tunnel exposed in Gaza. The Israeli military shows what the passageway looks like and what it's designed for. Gas stations across Iran are out of service. A group with ties to Israel might be behind a cyber attack on Iran's infrastructure. We bring you the details. Presidential hopefuls took their messages to the masses over the weekend with the first caucuses fast approaching and a shakeup in Governor DeSantis' campaign as a super PAC chief strategist resigns. For the first time ever, Germany is permanently stationing troops in another country. Almost 5,000 soldiers will be in northern Europe, close to Russia. Santa Claus is sending Christmas blessings in different ways around the world. We have some highlights from the weekend's events. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. We open with the latest updates on the war between Israel and Hamas. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is in Tel Aviv right now, meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the country's defense minister. The Biden administration is trying to get a clear assessment from Israeli officials on their military operations. Meanwhile, talks for another hostage deal are also underway. U.S. officials said the CIA director is meeting with the head of Israel's Mossad spy agency and the Qatari prime minister in Warsaw, Poland today. Israeli forces say they've uncovered the biggest Hamas tunnel in Gaza. They said the wide passageway is designed to carry carloads of militant fighters from Gaza right up to the border. Here's more. Israeli forces battling Hamas said they had uncovered an unusually large concrete and iron-girded tunnel at the Gaza-Israel border designed to transport carloads of militant fighters. Chief Israeli military spokesperson Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari said the tunnel was four kilometers or two and a half miles long, stretching from Gaza City, once the heart of Hamas governance and now a devastated combat zone, to the Erez crossing at the Israeli border. Without demolishing the tunnel project of Hamas, we cannot demolish Hamas. Raising or disabling hundreds of kilometers of underground passages and bunkers is among the aims of the Israeli offensive. The military showed reporters the exit point of the tunnel, located just 100 meters south of the checkpoint at Erez. The Erez crossing is one of the sites Hamas overran on October 7th, killing 1,200 Israelis and taking 240 others hostage. Hagari said it was the biggest tunnel Israeli forces have found near the border, without specifying whether it was used by Hamas for the October 7th attack. Generally, the tunnels shown to the media by the group or by the Israeli military after their discovery have been narrow and low, designed for single-file movement of gunmen on foot. The tunnel shown by Hagari had shafts plunging vertically downward that he said suggested it was part of a wider network. And most gas stations in Iran are out of service in what appears to be a major cyber attack on the country. A group with ties to Israel is reportedly claiming to be behind the attack on Iran's infrastructure. Iran's oil minister said services were disrupted at about 70% of Iran's gas stations. 
He added that outside interference was a possible cause. Iran State TV News said the predatory Sparrow Group claimed it was behind the disruption. Israeli local media outlets also reported the claim the Sparrow Group reportedly has ties to Israel. Iran's civil defense agency says it's still considering all possible causes for the disruptions as it investigates. This wouldn't be the first time Iran's fuel sales were hacked. Back in 2021, a major cyber attack in Iran caused motorists to wait in long lines at gas stations across the country. Iran at the time accused Israel and the U.S. of being behind those attacks. U.S. officials said multiple projectiles were filed from Houthi-controlled territory today at a vessel in the southern Red Sea. Increasing attacks in the region have disrupted maritime trade as major shipping firms reroute around the Cape of Good Hope to avoid the Suez Canal. Iran-backed Houthis issued a new warning to the United States and Israel. That was after a U.S. Navy destroyer shot down 14 drones launched from Yemen this Saturday. The warning said any hostility against Yemen or the Houthis will come at a great cost. A Houthi member told a Lebanese media outlet they are ready to respond to any moves the U.S. or Israel might make. He also said their operations against Israel will continue. The U.S. Kearney downed the 14 drones with no damage to ships in the area or reported injuries. A Fox News report said the USS Kearney has so far shot down 36 drones from Yemen in recent weeks. Last month, Navy ships also shot down two ballistic missiles launched by Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. Why are the Houthi attacking commercial vessels and what does it mean for global supply chains? I spoke with Gregory Copley, the president of the International Strategic Studies Association, to learn more. Gregory Copley, despite Houthi rebels claiming responsibility for many of the attacks in the Red Sea recently on ships there, uh, that includes U.S. ships, why do you think the U.S. hasn't responded? Well, the U.S. has responded. In fact, they've shot down a, a number of unmanned aerial vehicles, uh, drones, and uh, cruise missiles which have been fired by the Houthi. Uh, they have not intercepted some which have been directed at merchant ships away from the U.S. naval vessels in the area. But the U.S. is trying to play this down because they don't want to uh, rush into a confrontation with Iran, which is perceived to be the main sponsor of the Houthis. And the Houthis, in fact, are not rebels. They are in control of the country at this stage, and they are not really uh, controlled by the Iranians, even though the Houthi are a form of Shia in their religious beliefs, Shia Islam, and, and so is Iran. But nonetheless, the Houthi uh, literally run South Yemen and, and North Yemen now hmm. uh, and are operating under their own um, direction. And they do have some Iranian weapons. And so why do you think that they would want to or be driven to attack ships in the Red Sea? Well, I think they perceive that uh, they are anti-Israeli in this instance, uh, largely, I would suspect, because uh, Saudi Arabia has been supporting Israel uh, and the Saudi Arabian government has been attacking the Houthi for some years now in Yemen. So basically, the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of thing. So they're basically uh, saying, well, if Saudi Arabia is... Uh, the friend of, of uh, Israel, then we are the enemy of Israel. And so if considering that the, in the latest news, um, Danish shipping company Maersk says it won't be 
sending its ships through the Red Sea at this point in time anymore. What kind of impact do you think that these attacks could have on global dynamics and on the, you know, on supply chains in general? Well, the, the big reason for these attacks is not to make them necessarily successful in sinking merchant or naval traffic going through the Red Sea. It's to basically alarm the insurance world because once the insurance rate goes up, as it did last week, uh, by more than 200% for ships going through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, then uh, the cost to consumers goes up and eventually the shipping companies such as Maersk and Hapagloid and a few others will stop going through the Red Sea for the time being and divert their traffic around the Cape of Good Hope, around southern Africa, to get into the Atlantic that way. And that will delay uh, goods getting to market by a week or two weeks, and that's a huge added expense, not just in the cost of the shipping, but in the cost of the delays, because you have more of your inventory tied up uh, at sea than, than would have been the case if they'd been able to transit the Red Sea and Suez Canal. So the costs will be up enormously for uh, clients of these products, and uh, there'll be delays as well in getting goods there, and some shippers will delay shipping altogether. So this is going to be very disruptive. So it's about an insurance ploy, if you like, to, to disrupt the West. And what kind of impact do you anticipate it might have on international dynamics? Well, uh, basically, it will uh, force a situation where either the the US or the West or even countries such as Egypt will take action against the Houthi uh, groups so that they stop firing these missiles or come to some discreet accommodation with them through diplomatic means, or uh, the, the West will threaten retaliation against both the Houthi and Iran in order to put pressure on uh, them to stop these attacks. In 1984, uh, the Libyan government of Muammar Gaddafi mm -hmm. dropped three sea mines in the Red Sea, just three, and that closed down shipping traffic through the Red Sea and Suez Canal for months at an enormous cost to the to the global marketplace and supply chain. And things are much more uh, de dependent on timely deliveries now than they were in 1984. But that 1984 incident was the, the great example which the Houthi are backing on today. And it right. was then the insurance companies which caused the ships to stop going. Interesting. Thank you so much. Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association. Great to speak with you. And staying with the Houthi attacks on commercial vessels, they could go unpunished. Experts say that's because of difficulty adjudicating naval conflicts. For more on this, we speak with Dr. Philip Drew, fellow at the Center for International and Defense Policy in Kingston, Ontario, and leading expert on naval blockades about the nuances of dealing with a group like the Houthis. Philip Drew, thank you for joining us. What's been the response to these attacks by Houthi rebels so far? Um, so far, we've uh, seen the, the United States Navy has fired back a couple of missiles uh, again when the, some uh, vessels have been attacked and they've shot down a few um, drones, etc. And um, you know, states are beginning to get very concerned about the situation. It's not uh, unlike the piracy problem that used to exist in that area as well. And how are these attacks classified in international law? I know things uh, can get a little bit murky when you're dealing with international waters. 
They get a little murky when you're dealing in international waters, but they also get a little murky when you're dealing with non-state actors such as the Houthis. Um, in the case of the Houthis, they are an organized armed group uh, operating in a civil war in Yemen, but uh, that doesn't give them any right whatsoever to attack shipping, uh, particularly of neutral vessels. Um, uh, by or going through the waters near Yemen, or in the Red Sea, for that matter, um, it's it becomes very complicated. On it, not only in respect to um, which laws apply, but how to bring uh, the Houthis to justice for engaging in these types of activities. Why does how they're classified matter? Can you say a bit more about that? The classification of uh, of both the Houthis and what they're up to really matters because. When you are a member of a military and you're participating in an armed conflict uh, against another nation, then you have uh, various protections um, that go along with being in the military. If you are not a member of the military and you are engaging in armed conflict, such as the Houthis are, um, they have no uh, similar um, protections uh, in law, essentially everything that they do is against the law. So what does that mean for how uh, the international community can respond to them? Well, it, it becomes interesting. If, uh, if indeed, and, and I'm going to suggest that uh, they are just an organized armed group, uh, we don't recognize them as a country, and we don't recognize them as a government. Then the, every acti activity that they engage in against uh, civilian shipping is a criminal act. So we would look to the criminal law in order to deal with these individuals, and the best law that we can deal with uh, when we're talking about shipping is the suppression of unlawful acts against safety of maritime navigation, a um, convention that was created by the International Maritime Organization in 1988 uh, in response to the Achille Loro incident. And that allows states to uh, not only uh, receive but share jurisdiction uh, in respect to some of these attacks and activities that are taking place from uh, these unlawful actors. And we need to remember that, you know, they're not pirates. Uh, the Houthis yeah. don't fit into the definition of pirates. So they are people who are engaging in unlawful acts, though, uh, at sea. And tell us, what can be done to stem these attacks, given all this that we're talking about? That's a really interesting question, because we have to, uh, I think, first investigate what the cause and uh, is of these attacks and who's really pulling the strings uh, with respect to them. Uh, we do know that they have uh, stated that they're after Israeli vessels or vessels that are heading to Israel. Um, and why the Houthis would be interested in Israel is anybody's guess, because they're trying to fight a civil war in uh, Yemen, uh, I would suggest very strongly that there is uh, at least one state uh, that is sponsoring the Houthi activities. Uh, so when it comes back to uh, how do we how do we stop this? Um, at this point in time, I think the probably the only way to stop it is to catch the people uh, that are engaging in these types of activities and bring them to justice or um, stop them uh, in their attacks by a, a counterattack from, for example, a U.S. Navy vessel or an allied vessel working in the area. All right, Philip Drew, thank you so much for your time. Coming up, the driver of a car that plowed into President Biden's motorcade, here's his charges. 
We have the latest on the accident and the charges. President Biden's alleged involvement in his son's business dealings. Senator Graham warns that Democrats' narrative is falling apart. At the same time, the senator says he's not focusing on impeaching the president. Find out why. And the East Coast braces for some inclement weather. New York City is under a travel advisory. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. The driver of a car that smashed into President Biden's motorcade last night has been charged with a DUI. Police in Delaware said the driver has been charged with driving a vehicle under the influence of alcohol and inattentive driving. The accident happened in Wilmington, where the President and First Lady Jill Biden were leaving the Biden's campaign headquarters. Both were unharmed. Footage shows the President walking out of the campaign headquarters and being confronted by a reporter. The reporter asked the president why he's losing to Trump in the polls, to which he responded, quote, you're reading the wrong polls. Immediately after that, a collision can be heard nearby. The president was escorted into another vehicle by security staff as other agents quickly confronted the driver who crashed into the motorcade. Agents cornered the car and pulled weapons on the driver who held his hands up. According to a witness, the Bidens returned safely to their home in Wilmington following the incident. Over to the investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham says the narrative that President Biden knew nothing about his son's business is not holding up anymore. However, Graham tells NBC he's not focused on impeaching the president. You know, the narrative that Hunter Biden presented is falling apart. The idea that Joe Biden knew nothing about the business dealings is falling apart. I'm not worried about impeaching the president right yeah. now. You know what I'm worried about? Helping the president bring the Mideast to a better spot, trying to convince the Arabs and the Israelis to not let Iran get you off track, give Israel the space to destroy Hamas. Graham's statements might come due to a lack of direct evidence against the president. Biden is accused of directly being involved in his son's activities. The senator says if there were a smoking gun, then they'd be talking about it now. According to Graham, lawmakers not only have to prove that Biden knew about his son's business, they also have to prove that he somehow financially benefited from it. President Biden has publicly called the investigation a baseless political stunt. With the Iowa caucuses just around the corner, GOP presidential candidates made their cases to voters over the weekend of who should occupy the Oval Office. NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us campaign event highlights. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy was at the America Fest Turning Point event in Phoenix, Arizona on Sunday. He called the climate change agenda a hoax, saying it has nothing to do with the climate and everything to do with China. Why am I the only candidate in this race who can say certain things? That January 6th was the product of entrapment, that our money is being sent to persecute Christians from Ukraine to Armenia, something you're not supposed to talk about. Ramaswamy called January 6th an intentional intelligence failure. On day one, January 20th, 2025, every peaceful protester that day will receive a pardon. That is justice in this country. 
former President Donald Trump also made day one in office promises while in Nevada on Sunday, saying he would invoke the Alien Enemies Act to remove all known or suspected gang members, drug dealers, or cartel members from the United States and carry out the largest deportation in U.S. history. Trump painted a dark picture of American security and justice. Our border has been erased. We have no border any longer. Criminals are running wild in our Democrat-run cities while Christians and conservatives are persecuted. And took aim at life under the Joe Biden presidency. Biden's inflation catastrophe is demolishing your savings, ravaging your dreams. His sky-high energy prices are brutalizing your wallets. To the hills of Tennessee. The former president was in New Hampshire on Saturday, drawing a capacity crowd despite speaking in the liberal town of Durham at the University of New Hampshire. He fired up audience members, who he said would end up in the poorhouse for funding government programs he labeled wasteful. Let's call it, let's, let's, let's call it from now on the Green New Scam. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis lashed out at the so-called ruling elite at a Second Amendment town hall on Saturday in Iowa. So much of the problems we see are self-inflicted by an out-of-touch political class. Warning those in attendance about an erosion of personal freedom. One of the things our political class has done is they've really failed to safeguard our Constitution and to protect our constitutional liberties. The latest Real Clear Politics polling averages have Trump firmly in front with about 62%, DeSantis and Haley at around 12%, and Ramaswamy at about 5%. The first Republican presidential caucus is in Iowa on January 15th. A Republican presidential debate will take place in the state on January 10th. Republican presidential candidates Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are pressuring former President Donald Trump to join them on the debate stage. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Another shakeup for Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential bid. The top advisor to the Super PAC supporting his campaign resigned Saturday night. Jeff Rowe's resignation comes as GOP hopefuls are in the final weeks before the Iowa caucuses. Rowe announced his resignation on X on Saturday. His announcement came hours after the Washington Post published a story about the turmoil within the super PAC dubbed Never Back Down. In the story, Never Back Down chairman and CEO Scott Wagner attributed recent departures of some of Rose top workers to, quote, numerous unauthorized leaks containing false information. Wagner later revised his statement after a lawyer for the employees claimed his assertions were false. Both statements were included in the Post story. However, Rose said he cannot, in good conscience, stay affiliated with the Super PAC, given the statements. A DeSantis campaign spokesman said they have full confidence in the Super PAC, never back down, did not immediately respond to media requests for comment. About 58 million Americans are under flood watches from North Carolina to Maine. A storm system is marching along the eastern coast, bringing heavy rain and strong winds. It's battering northeast, causing power outages, bridge closures, and flooded roadways. More than 300,000 people in the region are already without electricity. The same storm drenched the southeast and mid-Atlantic over the weekend. And New York City is under a weather and travel advisory through today. Mayor Eric Adams first posted the alert Saturday on Axe.
It may impact our commute. City agencies are working hard to be prepared. We're coordinating, but we need you to do your part because we may have flooding on the coastal areas in Jamaica Bay. So while it's nice, go out, let's clean those catch basins. Adam said the city is implementing its flash flood emergency plan. He assured that staff and resources would be available to address any potential problems. A manhunt just succeeded in Texas for an escaped prisoner. Robert Yancey Jr. escaped over the weekend, according to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. The local sheriff reported capturing him this morning. He's serving a life sentence without parole for sexual abuse of a child. Police have reportedly arrested the criminal's mother for an outstanding felony warrant related to her son's escape from prison. And Quaker Oats is recalling more than two dozen of its granola bars and granola cereal because they may be contaminated with salmonella. Overall, the company is recalling 25 types of chewy bars, 10 types of granola bars, and 8 types of granola cereal. The products, some of which are pictured here, are sold throughout the United States. The company says if people have any of these items, they should throw them out immediately. Quaker says it hasn't received any reports of anyone getting sick. People should visit the company's website for more details on which products the company is recalling. Border agents seized over $10 million worth of drugs in San Diego last week. They found more than 3,000 pounds of methamphetamines and more than 500 pounds of cocaine. On December 13th, CBP officers encountered a young man driving a commercial tractor trailer. In the secondary inspection area, a trained dog alerted the officers to contraband. Agents soon discovered a total of more than 300 suspicious packages hidden in vats of jalapeno paste. The CBP called it a hot find on X. The driver had a valid border crossing card. Homeland Security investigations took him into custody. In November, the San Diego field office seized more than 14,000 pounds of narcotics. Up next, the U.S. might soon place more troops, ammunition and other equipment on Russia's border. We'll bring you the details of the new defense pact with Finland. And Spain's Canary Islands is hit with a surge of illegal immigrants. The crisis threatens the archipelago's tour tourism and scuba diving industries. We'll have the details soon when we return. And now switching gears, we have some short headlines from Germany and other European countries. Russian President Vladimir Putin has commented on speculation he might attack the NATO military alliance. Earlier this month, President Biden said Putin would attack NATO members if he's victorious over Ukraine. Biden made the remarks during a plea to Republicans not to block further military aid to Ukraine. It is complete nonsense, and I think President Biden understands that. Russia has no reason, no interest, no geopolitical interest, neither economic, political, nor military, to fight with NATO countries. Finland is set to sign a defense cooperation agreement with the U.S. today. The pact would allow Washington to send troops into the Nordic country, which borders Russia. That's to ramp up Finland's defense and store weapons and military equipment there. Finland's foreign minister says not having to agree on everything separately makes organizing peacetime operations easier and that it can also be vital in times of crisis. Russia's neighbor Finland became the newest NATO member after joining earlier this year. This came in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. 
As Ukraine is working to join the European Union, President Volodymyr Zelensky says joining the bloc won't be easy. The EU recently agreed to start membership talks. Now Zelensky lays out the immediate goals and next steps for Ukraine to join. In the coming days, we will officially launch with the European Commission the process of assessing Ukrainian legislation for compliance with EU legislation, the screening process. We are also preparing for the work on the negotiation framework for Ukraine. We expect it in the spring. The negotiation process will not be easy. Germany is set to permanently deploy troops in Lithuania. By 2027, Germany aims to station a brigade of almost 5,000 troops and around 200 civilians. That's in coordination with NATO following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Germany's and Lithuania's defense ministers praised the step at a joint press conference today. Never before has the German army deployed troops permanently outside Germany with a fixed contingent of soldiers. In the past, the missions were always temporary and rotating. This here is a first, also in its size. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced today that he tested positive for COVID-19. A visit by Slovakia's new prime minister now has to be cancelled as a result. Schultz says he's only experiencing a few symptoms and is counting on a mild case. The chancellor is reportedly in his office communicating by phone and video conference. It's not yet clear whether Schultz will be able to lead a cabinet meeting on Wednesday in person. Schultz is 65 years old and received a COVID booster shot this year. And lastly, Greece's economy seems to be recovering. The government approved its 2024 budget on Sunday. It forecasts a rise in economic growth from 2.4% to 2.9%. This comes as a result of robust tourist revenue and EU funds helping investment. Greece is the Eurozone's most indebted nation. It's recovered strongly since it exited international bailouts worth more than 260 billion euros in 2018. The new budget now contains the first pay raises for civil servants since 2010. Spain's Canary Islands offer crystal clear waters and gorgeous beaches. An abundance of marine life makes the archipelago one of the world's top scuba diving spots, but it's also a waypoint for desperate illegal immigrants. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest on the crisis. El Hierro Island is a prime destination for scuba divers in the Canaries, but it's becoming better known as a new gateway to Europe. This year, nearly 12,000 migrants from Africa arrived here in wooden boats. We haven't created this. We have nothing to do with the reality that those human beings are living down there. These are human beings suffering hunger and misery and death. And imagine for yourself, they embarked on an eight to 10 day sea journey that often ends in death. At the tiny port of La Rastinga, dive boats navigate between around 20 abandoned vessels. Discarded clothes, plastic utensils, and gas cans are discouraging tourists. We are friends who were supposed to come vacation with us, and in the end they didn't come because they were told it's not going to be pretty to see, and it's sad, and it could be annoying because it's a little island here. The atmosphere has locals worried about how the record surge in illegal immigrants will impact tourism. The industry is the island's main source of revenue. In the end, it's a situation that no one wants to see. You come on vacation and see the situation of these people who are arriving in bad condition. It's a bit unpleasant, not only for them as well, but for us and tourists in general. 
local politicians, fishermen, and tour operators are calling on the Spanish government and the European Union for help. Residents do what they can to help migrants who land wet, exhausted, dehydrated, or even hypothermic. We don't have enough resources to manage a phenomenon that is going to severely impact us. What is happening is migration is going to mean the absence of tourism on the island of El Hiro. Many migrants die on the way to the island. At least six died after arriving in the last two months alone. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Rome is delaying a ban of newer cars in a traffic control zone. The plan, called the Green Belt, is supposed to reduce traffic pollution. But the city council is postponing it by one year after strong objections from its residents. Rome has postponed a ban on certain types of diesel cars in the city's Green Belt until November 2024. The Green Belt is expected to revolutionize the car-clogged city, but the pace of the changes is slowing down giving drivers of affected cars more time to change their vehicles. For the time being, the restrictions will apply only on Euro 2 and Euro 3 diesel cars. Therefore, approximately 300,000 vehicles that were built roughly 30 years ago will not be allowed to circulate. But we expect this to be a progressive measure that in the coming years will also involve newer cars. During rush hour in Rome, it can take hours to drive either from east to west or from the north to the south of the city. In 2023, Rome exceeded the pollution limits 27 times, just below the 35 overruns annual limit. We have strong data showing that when pollution limits in big cities are exceeded, in the following 24 or 48 hours, there is a sudden increase in the number of children entering our emergency departments for respiratory problems, bronchitis and asthma. But some people are against the car ban. A Rome resident collected more than 30,000 signatures in a petition to ask for the easing of the anti-pollution restrictions. With an extension of 210 square kilometers, it means closing down the city to the circulation of approximately 350,000 cars from one day to the next. 350,000 cars means people who are working. They move around with cars because of the lack of local public transport. Rome's public transport system lags behind many European cities. Its three metro lines can serve just a fraction of commuters. Rome's residents are heavily dependent on vehicles. There are over 1.7 million cars in the city. None of us are either against the protection of public health or against clean air, but we want fair measures. The Rome municipality said if the EU lowers the thresholds, they will have to impose even tougher local restrictions. So the ban of newer cars might be required eventually. Coming up, dental tourism is at an all-time high in the UK. Some patients speak out on why they're traveling abroad for treatment. And a robotic third arm that's controlled by breathing. Scientists in Switzerland say it won't affect our ability to do other things at the same time. More on this new technology shortly here on NTD News Today.
Millions of people in the UK are unable to access low-priced, state-run dental care, so dental tourism is at a record high. Patients are traveling abroad for treatment they can't get at home. Please note this report contains graphic images of dental surgery. This is 55-year-old Marion Parks. She lives in a small English village and is having intensive dental work done, but not in her local dental surgery. She's thousands of miles away from home in Istanbul. Marion says she isn't alone. You know, people are going to Turkey not just for dental treatment. They're going for other... And it's not just cosmetic things. People are going for hip replacements, you know, because there are such long waiting lists on the NHS. It's, um, it's something that people are considering so that they're not in pain. Every year, thousands of Brits go abroad for dental treatment like this. The issue? The UK has a shortage of dentists. The country also ranked third from the bottom among the OECD's 22 mostly rich nations in terms of access in 2021. Problems with the central government funding system have compounded the problem, meaning millions cannot access a low-priced dentist in the UK's state-run National Health Service. With the cost of private dentistry too high for many, a rocketing cost of living crisis and an NHS consumed by strikes, the sense of malaise is growing. One recent parliamentary report even noted people were resorting to pulling out their own problem teeth. Eddie Crouch, chair of the British Dental Association, or the BDA, says it's far from a new issue and that the UK system no longer works due to a dental contract the government introduced in 2006. The dental contract is not fit for purpose and actually if you look at the Health Select Committee report that's virtually the words they used and actually a Health Select Committee report 15 years ago said almost exactly the same thing. But sadly with the rise of inflation and various costs of delivering the service the NHS fees now for the treatment do not cover the costs of actually delivering the care. So many of my colleagues are actually delivering care at a loss. The BDA says the NHS payment structure does not distinguish between the complexity of treatments. As a result, many dental practices operate at a loss and supplement their NHS income with private work. But many do not accept new NHS customers, and some simply leave the service. I just feel sorry for the people who are in pain in the UK because the NHS is completely stretched, dentists are not available, and to get any treatment done quickly, you've got to have it done privately. So, you know, I'm lucky that I can come here and get this work done and not have to worry about my future dental health. While no official statistics on dental tourism exist, interviews with six companies suggest it is either at a record high or growing rapidly. The dental clinic Marion visited has treated more than 500 Brits this year, up from 200 in 2022. Medical Travel Market, a UK-based consultancy, received over 1,500 inquiries up to mid-November this year. That's up more than 450% over 2022. In response to this, the government says it will shortly set out measures to improve access to NHS dentistry. A spokesperson said 1.7 million more adults and 800,000 more children were receiving NHS dental care compared with last year. They also pointed out that new plans aim to increase dental training places by 40%. But critics say hiring more dentists without reforming the dental contract will achieve nothing. Check this out. An extra robotic arm controlled by breathing. 
Scientists in Switzerland are testing the new tech that won't affect our ability to do other things at the same time. Scientists in Switzerland are testing whether humans can control an extra robotic arm without impacting our ability to do other things at the same time. Silvestro Macera is a professor and neuroengineer at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. The research was published in the peer-reviewed journal Science Robotics. The main motivation is to understand the nervous system. Because if you challenge the brain to do something which is completely new, you will understand whether the brain is able to do that and how you can facilitate this learning. And then you can transfer this also to other applications, in particular, for example, for assistive devices with people with disability, rehabilitation after stroke and these kind of things. The researchers devised a system where someone wearing virtual reality goggles sees three arms, with the extra limb looking a little different to limit natural association. Volunteers held onto an exoskeleton which controlled the virtual left and right arms, while movement detected by a belt around their waist measured their breathing and controlled the middle arm. In particular, we used this environment to test our gaze respiration-based control interface. Uh, and as a first step, we decided to assess is actual feasibility for effective augmentation, so assessing the possibility of still speaking and uh, gazing around. The researchers also tested breathing control with a real robotic arm strapped to the user's chest that extends in and out with the diaphragm. What was extremely interesting to see was that both trained participants and naive participants perform similarly, again showing the intuitiveness of our uh, control interface. Though it wasn't published in the study, senior scientist Salimin Shakur says the team also discovered that people could be trained to control a computer mouse with the muscles we don't really use anymore. We have found that through a few days of training, people could use this auricular muscles, which are this muscle we have behind the ears, to control this extra limb while still using their natural arms and still speaking and looking around. The study is part of a Swiss National Science Foundation project to develop a wearable robotic arm to assist in daily tasks or to help in search and rescue. Holiday celebrations are in full swing around the world with various unique traditions. Let's take a look at some of the festive events over the weekend. Thousands of runners dressed up as Santa near Paris on Sunday to run over six miles in the festive atmosphere. Children also dressed up for about a mile-long race. Introduced decades ago by the town, the race now brings thousands each year to have a jolly good time. And in Venice, dozens of Santa Clauses ditched their sleighs for gondolas as they rode along the canals. About a hundred Santas arrived in the Lagoon City on boats and gondolas, coloring the canal red and bringing joy and magic to the city. The event is part of the program known as Venice Lights Up Christmas. Over to Latin America, runners in Mexico and Venezuela brought Christmas joy to the streets in their capitals. Thousands of racers find their families and even dogs dressed in Santa Claus costumes for Mexico City's Santa Race. In Caracas, hundreds of racers ran in a similar event and then participants could enjoy a foam party with their families to fight the heat. 
In Guatemala, a Santa surprised needy children by rappelling down with presents. The 77-year-old firefighter played the role of Santa Claus in a suburb of Guatemala City. He's been handing out presents to local children for 26 years now and shows no signs of slowing down. The presents came from a donation drive at fire stations in the country. Finally, we're off to Mexico where traditional poinsettias are blooming for the country's holiday season. The poinsettias in native Mexico, it's native to that region, so it's known for its large red colorful petals. The plant has a Spanish name meaning Christmas Eve because it reaches its magnificence during Christmas, thriving in a mixture of crisp and sunny weather. They can be seen in homes, businesses and public areas throughout the country during the holiday season. Millions are expected to be sold this Christmas time. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin returns to Israel to discuss the operations in Gaza. What message does he bring? Gas stations across Iran are out of service. A group with ties to Israel might be behind a cyber attack on Iran's infrastructure. We bring you the details. Storms and high winds hit the northeastern U.S., knocking out power and flooding streets. We have the latest weather updates. Quaker Oats is recalling dozens of its granola products over potential salmonella contamination. Find out what's on the recall list. A landmark trial has opened in Hong Kong for pro-democracy activist Jimmy Lai as calls for his release grow louder around the world. And in the NFL, the once mighty Patriots lost again. Is this the end for their legendary head coach? This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. Over to the war between Israel and Hamas. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is in Tel Aviv right now, meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the country's defense minister. Now, we'll continue to provide Israel with the equipment that you need to defend your country, Mr. Prime Minister, uh, including critical munitions, tactical vehicles, and air defense systems. We'll continue to support Israel's mission to find and free all of the hostages. The U.S. Defense Secretary also talked about the urgent need to get humanitarian aid into Gaza, as well as ensuring freedom of navigation in the Red Sea. Austin is in Israel to get a clearer assessment from Israeli officials on their military operations. This comes as the Biden administration continues to push Israel to make the fighting less intensive. Meanwhile, talks for another hostage deal are also underway. U.S. officials said the CAA director is meeting with the head of Israel's Mossad spy agency and the Qatari prime minister in Warsaw, Poland today. Netanyahu said over this weekend that Israel might keep up the military pressure on Hamas to secure the release of all hostages. The Israeli military reported more intensified attacks from Hezbollah in Lebanon. Israeli forces say they've uncovered the biggest Hamas tunnel in Gaza. They said the wide passageway is designed to carry carloads of militants, fighters, from Gaza right up to the border. Here's more. 
Israeli forces battling Hamas said they had uncovered an unusually large concrete and iron-girded tunnel at the Gaza-Israel border designed to transport carloads of militant fighters. Chief Israeli military spokesperson Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari said the tunnel was four kilometers or two and a half miles long, stretching from Gaza City, once the heart of Hamas governance and now a devastated combat zone, to the Erez crossing at the Israeli border. Without demolishing the tunnel project of Hamas, we cannot demolish Hamas. Raising or disabling hundreds of kilometers of underground passages and bunkers is among the aims of the Israeli offensive. The military showed reporters the exit point of the tunnel, located just 100 meters south of the checkpoint at Erez. The Erez crossing is one of the sites Hamas overran on October 7th, killing 1,200 Israelis and taking 240 others hostage. Hagari said it was the biggest tunnel Israeli forces have found near the border, without specifying whether it was used by Hamas for the October 7th attack. Generally, the tunnels shown to the media by the group or by the Israeli military after their discovery have been narrow and low, designed for single-file movement of gunmen on foot. The tunnel shown by Hagari had shafts plunging vertically downward that he said suggested it was part of a wider network. With the Iowa caucuses just around the corner, GOP presidential candidates made their cases to voters over the weekend of who should occupy the Oval Office. NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us campaign event highlights. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy was at the America Fest Turning Point event in Phoenix, Arizona on Sunday. He called the climate change agenda a hoax, saying it has nothing to do with the climate and everything to do with China. Why am I the only candidate in this race who can say certain things that january 6 was the product of entrapment that our money is being sent to persecute christians from ukraine to armenia something you're not supposed to talk about ramaswamy called january 6th an intentional intelligence failure on day one january 20th 2025 every peaceful protester that day will receive a pardon that is justice in this country Former President Donald Trump also made day one in office promises while in Nevada on Sunday, saying he would invoke the Alien Enemies Act to remove all known or suspected gang members, drug dealers, or cartel members from the United States and carry out the largest deportation in U.S. history. Trump painted a dark picture of American security and justice. Our border has been erased. We have no border any longer. Criminals are running wild in our Democrat-run cities while Christians and conservatives are persecuted. And took aim at life under the Joe Biden presidency. Biden's inflation catastrophe is demolishing your savings, ravaging your dreams. His sky-high energy prices are brutalizing your wallets. To the hills of Tennessee. The former president was in New Hampshire on Saturday drawing a capacity crowd despite speaking in the liberal town of Durham at the University of New Hampshire. He fired up audience members, who he said would end up in the poorhouse for funding government programs he labeled wasteful. Let's call it, let's, let's, let's call it from now on, the Green New Scam. 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis lashed out at the so-called ruling elite at a Second Amendment town hall on Saturday in Iowa. So much of the problems we see are self-inflicted by an out-of-touch political class. Warning those in attendance about an erosion of personal freedom. One of the things our political class has done is they've really failed to safeguard our Constitution and to protect our constitutional liberties. The latest Real Clear Politics polling averages have Trump firmly in front with about 62 percent, DeSantis and Haley at around 12 percent, and Ramaswamy at about 5 percent. The first Republican presidential caucus is in Iowa on January 15th. A Republican presidential debate will take place in the state on January 10th. Republican presidential candidates Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are pressuring former President Donald Trump to join them on the debate stage. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Rubber meets the road in the primary elections next month. The GOP primaries are set to kick off a few weeks from now in Iowa. Former President Trump is polling well there. Recent polls show he's also polling well against President Biden in key swing states. For analysis of this moment, we're joined by political commentator Greg Huey of the Huey Report. Craig, talk to us about Trump's lead over Biden in swing states like Pennsylvania and Arizona. Well, it's great. It's huge. It's really Trump's to lose. Um, the big question is, is Trump able to get out the vote as well as his opponents? And so that's that's the big issue. We're, we're actually going to see that in Iowa. DeSantis is counting on getting out the vote as he did down in Florida and being able to get people to the polls that normally don't go. And, and, and uh, if he's able to pull it off, he's going to shock everyone. If he's not able to pull it off, uh, you know, it, it, Trump's lead, because he's so great at messaging, so great at, at, at rallying people up in anger against all the unfair uh, persecution that he's suffering. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, it's hard to beat him in any of these primaries coming up. So let's just look at these polls. I mean, a lot can change between now and Election Day 2024. Oh, yeah. How significant is this polling that far out? Not very, because anything can happen. Let me just tell you, first of all, remember, it was the polls that said there would be this giant red wave, and it never happened. And the polls were showing, you know, uh, other victories that conservative talking heads and consultants were saying, oh, the GOP is going to just wipe out the radical left. We're going to be able to win these elections. And they're defeated. This happened in 2023 in this last election. And it's because uh, the GOP is 10 to 15 years behind the radical Democrats in being able to win an election. And that's the sad news of it. Uh, but the, when you look at these polls, there's the accuracy factor that I, I just mentioned. Second part, what if there's a terrorist attack? What's what's the issue with immigration and how will that have an impact on the upcoming election or Biden? He just did an executive order on artificial intelligence. What if he does one on voting safety? What if he yeah. does a executive order on on uh, uh, something that has to do with health and, and, and a spread of a disease like with the pandemic? And we Craig, don't know what's going to happen. There's Craig, so many different variables. I want to just look at uh, independent presidential candidate 
Cornell West, you mentioned him on your on your X feed recently. He predicts that Joe Biden will drop out of the race by Election Day. Does West's prediction hold any weight based on what you're observing? Absolutely, because remember, uh, the the Biden administration is supported, controlled by the Obama uh, network. It's like a marketing machine. And, and uh, what Obama wants is what Obama, Obama's going to get. For some strange reason, they made Chicago to be where the Democratic National Convention will be. That's where the big drama is going to take place, if Biden's going to get it or not, if Kamala's going to get it or not, or if Gavin Newsom's going to get it or not. So Cornell West, I usually don't uh, agree with him, but he's got a really good point that uh, this this variable in the election is huge. And since so many Democrats now are attacking Biden, so many people in the government are starting to leak things and dissatisfied, you got the deep state not on his side, you're going to find that there's a good probability he is not going to be the nominee. And Craig, let's just look at the Iowa caucuses before we go. Uh, They kick off the state-by-state primary race um, uh, in less than a month. How are they shaping right. up right now? Well, if you look at the polls, it's Trump's to lose. But if you look at the groundwork, where, that's what really counts. Uh, knowing who your voters are, identifying them, and then making sure, in this case, they go to the caucuses. That's where DeSantis feels he's going to create a shock and a surprise, because under the radar, that's what he's working on. The Vic. He probably is not going to pull it off, but he thinks he's doing that with the young people, with those in the 20s and 30s. And that's his hope to bring them to the caucus, get their vote. Uh, While Trump is doing the big rallies, is he getting the people out to vote on that caucus day? All right. Craig Huey of the Huey Report. Thank you so much. Coming up, are lower borrowing costs coming soon? Bank of America forecasting interest rate cuts in 2024. Is this likely to happen? We have that and more just after this break. And a 50,000 square foot retail store tucked away in a small Alabama town sells items from unclaimed luggage. Many of them tell a personal story. We'll have more after the break. Supreme Court justices bid farewell to Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman to serve on the nation's highest court. She passed away on December 1st at the age of 93. O'Connor was appointed by President Ronald Reagan in 1981 and served until her retirement in 2006. The justice played a key role in affirming the Roe v. Wade ruling on abortion in the 90s and in the 2003 verdict supporting affirmative action on college campuses. Her body will lie in repose inside the court's Great Hall with the public invited to pay their respects. Starting at 10.30 a.m., the Supreme Court honored O'Connor in a private ceremony before the public viewing. A private funeral is set for O'Connor at the Washington National Cathedral tomorrow. 
Japan's Nippon Steel is acquiring U.S. Steel in an all-cash deal valued at nearly $15 billion. The acquisition will make Nippon one of the top three steel-producing companies in the world. Rival Cleveland Cliffs offered about half that just four months ago. U.S. Steel will keep its name and its headquarters in Pittsburgh. Nippon said that it will honor all current collective bargaining agreements. Steel prices more than quadrupled early in the pandemic to almost $2,000 a ton. Soaring prices have helped fuel consolidation in the steel industry over the past decade. But the U.S. Steel CEO said the acquisition should help rather than hurt competition. Over half of the world's steel production is now based in China. Most U.S. production uses an older blast furnace technology. Bank of America Global Research said on Monday that it expects the U.S. Federal Reserve to cut rates four times next year. How likely is this to happen? NTD's business host Don Ma gets the view from a veteran market analyst. And joining us here is Joseph Trevisani, senior analyst at FX Street. So, Joseph, four rate cuts next year from the U.S. Federal Reserve, likely uh, or not? Well, that seems to be what the Fed thinks, too, because they've reduced in their uh, projections, which came out um, last week uh, for December, they reduced their the end of the year 2024 to 4.6% from 55 now. So they have, for their own projections, are predicting four rate cuts. So it's not really a large reach for anybody who agrees with that. By the end of 2024, we're going to get four 25 basis point uh, rate cuts, bringing down uh, uh, the Fed yeah. funds rate to around 4%. Well, around 4.6% is what, what they're projecting at the end of the year. The question is, I think there are, the, there are really twofold questions. One, inflation has come off, but it's now seemed to stabilize around 3, 3.2% right around there. The more important question is, what is the economy doing? If the economy continues on its current path, it's hard to see how there's any reason to cut rates with inflation still above their target. So even though the Fed seems to be predicting that, I have questions of whether they're actually doing it. So then if you think that uh, there may not be a good enough reason to cut rates, then why do uh, Fed officials, a lot of them in fact, are projecting uh, rate cuts next year? That's a very good question. The only reason really can be that they expect the economy to deteriorate considerably from where it is now. Now, that kind of projection or that kind of assumption is based on the historical factors that when the Fed raises rates as much as they did and have, you get a reaction in the economy. The economy slows down. The fact is we haven't seen it really so far, but that's what they're basing it on because there isn't anything else. So do you think the Fed uh, knows something that the broader market doesn't? I do not think the Fed knows something that the broader market doesn't. I think they're going with historical precedent, which generally works. But don't forget, the Fed has been quite wrong recently and before that, going back really to the financial crisis, about inflation. So the Fed's prognostication skills are really not any better than anyone else's. You could make a case that they're worse because they suffer from the bias of wanting to get to a particular target. 
So the Federal Reserve sort of hinting at uh, rate cuts and hinting at potentially uh, no more rate hikes. I think that took uh, some by surprise. Uh, wouldn't it be uh, reasonable to think that it's also possible that uh, they may cut rates, uh, surprising some next year? It is definitely possible. I mean, the Fed doesn't like to surprise markets, and we know that it really upsets everything. Yet, they are making a prediction here that the credit markets have been in front of by about two months. So they're going along with what the credit markets seem to think. Again, I don't really think that the Fed is as confident about this coming slowdown as these rate predictions predict. All right. Thank you very much today for your insight. Joseph Trevisani, Senior Analyst, FX Street. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. About 58 million Americans are under flood watches from North Carolina to Maine. A storm system is marching along the eastern coast, bringing heavy rain and strong winds. It's battering the northeast, causing power outages, bridge closures, and flooded roadways. More than 300,000 people in the region are already without electricity. The states currently most impacted by outages are Massachusetts and Connecticut. The same storm drenched the southeast and mid-Atlantic over the weekend. New York City is under a weather and travel advisory through today. Mayor Eric Adams first posted the alert on Saturday on X. Adams said the city is implementing its flash flood emergency plan. He assured that staff and resources would be available to address any potential problems. Southwest Airlines has agreed to pay a record-setting $140 million civil penalty. That's over a holiday meltdown from December last year, which led to almost 17,000 flight cancellations and left 2 million passengers stranded. Here's more. The settlement includes a $35 million cash fine and a three-year mandate to provide $90 million in travel vouchers of $75 or more for passengers delayed at least three hours getting to final destinations due to an airline-caused issue or cancellation. The delayed compensation is a first of its kind in the US and due to start in April. Last year's travel chaos was caused by a massive winter storm and led to people missing funerals or long-awaited holiday gatherings. The storm cost Southwest more than $1 billion, but it's since made technology and consumer service upgrades. Southwest did not admit to wrongdoing, but agreed to the settlement to avoid litigation. However, regulators found Southwest broke consumer protection laws. They said the airline failed to provide adequate customer service assistance via its call centre to hundreds of thousands of customers. It also argued Southwest failed to give prompt flight status notifications to more than one million passengers. Tucked away in a small Alabama town is a 50,000 square foot retail store filled with items from unclaimed luggage. Just what can you find here? NTD's Andrew Thomas takes us on a tour. This is unclaimed baggage in Scottsboro, Alabama. Every year, thousands come to find something special from the unclaimed items on display. Unclaimed baggage was founded in 1970 by Doyle Owens. He started with a borrowed pickup truck and $300. He made his way to Washington, D.C. to pick up his very first load of unclaimed baggage. He brought back about 110 suitcases. Kridner has been working for the company for over 26 years. She's witnessed an array of items come through the store. 
She believes that some items are meant to be found. I think it feels a little bit like shopping through someone else's closet. I think the thrill of the hunt is really cool. You know, digging for these treasures, it kind of feels like an archaeological dig even um, for our shoppers and not to mention the deals. The store narrows down the selection. It only sells about a third of the items left behind by flyers. The rest are tossed or donated. The most valuable finds, like Egyptian artifacts and a signed baseball, make it into the store's museum. Among the lost items are headphones and iPads. In the electronics department, shoppers can find stacks of devices, buckets of iPods, and a wall dedicated to headphones. We say every bag tells a story, um, whether it's a, a man's bag, a woman's bag, was it a business trip, a vacation, um, were they going to their trip or, or were they coming home from their trip? And I think that's certainly the case when it comes to, to bags that maybe were left behind, never to be reclaimed again intentionally. The bags have to sit at the airport for 90 days before they're marked unclaimed. Less than 1% of all luggage meets this fate. Susan Boatman is one of the many customers who visits the store several times a year to hunt for treasures. She spends hours with her family in the store, going through a list of items she might need. And my husband gives, gave me today four hours. Um, I have a couple of um, godsons who have new babies, so I'm going to be shopping for some baby clothes. Um, we wear a lot of Hey Dudes in Florida, and these are half the price. Unclaimed Baggage has a website, making some items available to customers around the world. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Border agents seized over $10 million worth of drugs in San Diego last week. They found more than 3,000 pounds of methamphetamines and more than 500 pounds of cocaine. On December 13th, CBP officers encountered a young man driving a commercial tractor trailer. In the secondary inspection area, a trained dog alerted the officers to contraband. Agents soon discovered a total of more than 300 suspicious packages hidden in vats of jalapeno paste. The CBP called it a hot find on Axe. The driver had a valid border crossing card. Homeland Security investigations took him into custody. And in November, the San Diego field office seized more than 14,000 pounds of narcotics. Quaker Oats is recalling more than two dozen of its granola bars and granola cereal because they may be contaminated with salmonella. Overall, the company is recalling 25 types of chewy bars, 10 types of granola bars, and 8 types of granola cereal. The products, some of which are pictured here, are sold throughout the United States. The company says if people have any of these items, they should throw them out immediately. Quaker says it hasn't received any reports of anyone getting sick. People should visit the company's website for more details on which products the company is recalling. Coming up, Hong Kong police are expanding bounties on pro-democracy activists. NTD spoke with one of the latest accused of subversion under China's sweeping and vague national security law. A long-awaited national security trial opened in Hong Kong today for media tycoon Jimmy Lai. That's made international calls to release the pro-democracy activist and leading China critic. Here's more. A landmark national security trial for pro-democracy activist Jimmy Lai opened in Hong Kong on Monday amid tight security. The media tycoon faces life imprisonment on charges he colluded with foreign forces, including the United States. Lai, who has pleaded not guilty to all charges, was brought to the court in a navy blue prison van. 
Crowds lined up overnight to secure a spot in the courtroom. Among them was veteran Hong Kong Democrat Emily Lau. I hope they will get Jimmy and others will get a fair, open and just hearing. Lai, the founder of now-shuttered pro-democracy newspaper Apple Daily, is one of the most prominent Hong Kong critics of China's Communist Party leadership. He has faced a salvo of litigation since a wave of pro-democracy protests in 2019. China's foreign ministry recently called Lai a, quote, notorious anti-China element, and he has been behind bars now for over 1,000 days. Western democracies will be watching the case closely, with the trial seen as a key test for Hong Kong's judicial independence and freedoms under the security law imposed by China in 2020. Britain on Sunday explicitly called on Hong Kong authorities to release Lai. Hong Kong police added five overseas-based activists to a list of wanted people on succession and subversion charges last week. They're offering a million Hong Kong dollars each, around $130,000 U.S., for information leading to an arrest. NTD spoke with one of the activists on the bounty list, U.S. citizen Francis Hui, to hear her side of things. U.S. citizen Francis Hui is accused of various offenses under China's sweeping and vague national security law. Charges include incitement of secession and subversion and allegedly colluding with foreign forces. The subversion and the crimes that they put on us is a way to, to cover up the actual values that we stand for. You know, this is not just targeted to Hong Kongers, but also to Uyghurs, to Tibetans, Chinese dissidents and Taiwanese who have constantly be on the side of democracy and freedom. And if that's the crime, um, then so be it. Hui says she's been charged with calling on foreign countries to impose sanctions on China and accused of creating hostile activities against the CCP. We are criminalized for things that we were doing here on U.S. soil. And all we were doing, it's not colluding with foreign forces, it's not subversion, it's just standing on the streets, speaking up to the truth and justice and for democracy. Hui believes the charges are retaliation to U.S. sanctions on close to 50 Hong Kong officials, judges and prosecutors behind the suppression of civil liberties. She suspects it's an effort to cut off support and dissuade others both at home and abroad. They really like to use that term that this is an internal, you know, uh, affair, that, um, you know, they condemn any uh, interference from foreign country. But look at us, we are here in the U.S. There are people uh, that are, that uh, you know, there are bountied individuals that are residing in the U.K., in Australia. Hui says her case is another sign the U.S. government and its policy haven't done enough to stop the intimidation and harassment, despite applying various sanctions and taking steps like forming the House Select Committee on the CCP. There is a lack of cooperation between um, the U.S. and other democratic allies in, in their strategy to hold China accountable to stop these behavior happening. Um, I think we should start from looking into the issue of transnational repression and really uh, drill down to the issue and try to protect activists um, that are residing in the U.S. Aside from Congress, Hui says the general public and international community need to educate themselves about the Chinese regime's human rights violations to protect the values they hold dear. Now over to Europe, we have some short headlines from Germany, Spain and other countries. Russian President Vladimir Putin has commented on speculation he might attack the NATO military alliance. 
Earlier this month, President Biden said Putin would attack NATO members if he's victorious over Ukraine. Biden made the remarks during a plea to Republicans not to block further military aid to Ukraine. It is complete nonsense, and I think President Biden understands that. Russia has no reason, no interest, no geopolitical interest, neither economic, political, nor military, to fight with NATO countries. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Finnish officials signed a new defense cooperation agreement today. The pact allows Washington to send troops into the Nordic country, which borders Russia. That's to ramp up Finland's defense and store weapons and military equipment there. Finland's foreign minister says not having to agree on everything separately makes organizing peacetime operations easier and that it can also be vital in times of crisis. Russia's neighbor, Finland, became the newest NATO member after joining earlier this year. This came in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. As Ukraine is working to join the European Union, President Vladimir Zelensky says joining the bloc won't be easy. The EU recently agreed to start membership talks. Now Zelensky lays out the immediate goals and next steps for Ukraine to join. In the coming days, we will officially launch with the European Commission the process of assessing Ukrainian legislation for compliance with EU legislation, the screening process. We are also preparing for the work on the negotiation framework for Ukraine. We expect it in the spring. The negotiation process will not be easy. Germany is set to permanently deploy troops in Lithuania. By 2027, Germany aims to station a brigade of almost 5,000 troops and around 200 civilians. That's in coordination with NATO following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Germany's and Lithuania's defense ministers praised the step at a joint press conference today. Never before has the German army deployed troops permanently outside Germany with a fixed contingent of soldiers. In the past, the missions were always temporary and rotating. This here is a first, also in its size. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced today that he tested positive for COVID-19. A visit by Slovakia's new prime minister now has to be cancelled as a result. Schultz says he's only experiencing a few symptoms and is counting on a mild case. The chancellor is reportedly in his office communicating by phone and video conference. It's not yet clear whether Schultz will be able to lead a cabinet meeting on Wednesday in person. Schultz is 65 years old and received a COVID booster shot this year. Colombian authorities seized over two tons of cocaine hidden in nuggets of charcoal at the port of Barranquilla. The drugs were intended for Europe and are worth around $11 million. Police said a notorious cartel orchestrated the shipment. This year, Colombia seized 23 illegal substance hauls that involved mixing drugs with everyday items like coffee, fruits, and canned food. Coming up, the last place New England Patriots lose again. Could this be the end for the legendary coach? NTD's Dave Martin joins us to discuss. And it's been 250 years since an iconic event that helped pave the way for America's independence. See how Boston celebrated. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Now for your sports news. We're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. 
Dave, another big day in the NFL yesterday as Kansas City beat last place New England. Now, there are strong rumors this could be it for Patriots coach Bill Belichick. What do you make of that? I still can't believe uh, that, that that's a possibility. I mean, his struggles show that even the best head coaches need star players. Now, he's had he had Tom Brady for nearly two decades, and they were very successful. I mean, they won six Super Bowl titles. That's more than almost every other franchise, let alone head coach. Now, to me, the problem is they just don't have a very talented roster. You know, maybe that's on him, too. It's not really clear who makes those calls. If they did let him go, I think he surely would have other opportunities in this league should he decide to continue coaching. Now, Dave, in the NBA yesterday, Steph Curry failed to hit a three-pointer, snapping a record streak of 268 games. Given that he's now 35 and his team is struggling, is this a sign that we may be seeing the start of a decline? You know, I actually don't think so. I thought he was hitting his decline a couple years ago, and then he led the Warriors to get another championship, their fourth. Uh, see, he certainly had a rough day yesterday. Missed all eight of his threes. That streak, he actually started at all the way back in 2018. Now, right now, he's among the league leaders in three-point percentage. He's number one in free throw percentage. He's top ten in scoring. I would say the Warriors are struggling as a team, though, because their core players have hit their 30s. I mean, decline is inevitable at that point. Ironically, maybe Andrew Wiggins is struggling the most, and he's actually only 29. They're also missing Draymond Green, who's out with yet another suspension. I think, though, unfortunately, their days of winning titles are over. And Dave, in baseball, it's been more than a week since Shohei Otani left the Angels for the Dodgers. Looking at the other side of this, what's been the Angels' reaction? You know, the Angels' general manager, he basically commented the other day saying, uh, you know, life goes on, pretty much. Now, they declined to say whether they were given an opportunity to match the Dodgers' $700 million offer. Most people think it wouldn't have mattered anyway that he wanted to go to a winning franchise, so that clearly had not been the Angels. Now, you could look back and criticize them for not trading him when they had the opportunity. I mean, it seemed pretty clear that when he wouldn't sign an extension that he wasn't going to stay with them. But I respected that once they decided to hold on to him, they doubled down they acquired other players uh, in an effort to make the playoffs unfortunately it backfired uh, they started struggling Otani got injured now they're losing him in the offseason I'm curious though to see what they do now I mean do they go out and sign other big free agents or do they trade away some of their star players for young prospects uh, and start over it could go either way at this point all right thank you Dave thanks guys thanks Dave Check this out. NASA released images of the most powerful solar flare in six years. The solar phenomenon known as a coronal mass ejection was captured by a spacecraft that's been monitoring the sun's activity since 2010. The fiery flash happened last Thursday and caused some radio interference on Earth for a short time. The federal government's Space Weather Prediction Center called it an amazing event. The last strongest solar flare was recorded on September 10th in 2017. And is it getting harder to afford treats and gifts for Christmas? Let's ask Mike Kirkcharsky, the co-owner of a trucking company. Mike, welcome back to NTD News Today. I believe we had you on this time last year speaking with my colleague Kevin about the same topic. Mike, tell us, how does the cost of food and goods this year compare to last year? Thank you for having me on again. So yeah, the, the trucking the trucking business is is the heartbeat of America. And you could tell by what's happening with the American economy about what the trucks are doing. And the fourth quarter has always been the Super Bowl for trucking companies, especially in mind that halt food because of the high shipment volumes 
for the holidays. But one of the issues we had last year was we were anticipating a busy season and we were geared up for a peak season, but it became a massive disappointment because right after Thanksgiving, the economy dropped out, consumers stopped buying goods. It was almost a very scary time. Uh, last last year's holiday season was, was, was worse what we've seen since 2008 financial crisis. And we have some good news for this year. The economy is, the volumes are, are starting to creep up a little bit uh, at the end of the year, which is a positive thing for, for trucking companies and, and the consumers. And if we continue this in this direction, it should, it should be, we should be going back to pre-pandemic if everything goes well, knock on wood. Now, my colleagues tell me they've been able to find almost everything that they hope to buy this Christmas. Tell us, after all of the supply chain issues caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdowns, are we finally back to pre-pandemic supply chain operations and stocking? I wouldn't say exactly back to pre-pandemic, but we're getting close. Um, I would say, yes, the stores are, you you could go buy goods you want. Uh, the only things I would say that we're missing is the, the items that we import from other countries, you know, a couple of ingredients, parts, et cetera, like that. But we are getting back to pre-COVID uh, uh, conditions, uh, but we also had a very slow year. You know, the, the volumes have been down all year, so it, it's it's we haven't haven't had that push, and and we've been we've been catching up on, until now. Now, many people have already finished their Christmas shopping, but soon there will be a big dash at the supermarkets to stock up for Christmas lunch and dinner. Mike, what would be your advice for shoppers hoping to keep the costs down for their Christmas Day meals? Well, you know, as a, I'm not the professional shopper in the family, my wife is, but I have a couple tips. Uh, you know, uh, eating before going shopping, I hear, is, 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 is a winner. Make a list, sticking to it, uh, ditching the brand names. But one of my favorite things that I, I like to do is, is you got to buy smart and buy in bulk if possible. Instead of buying four chicken breasts, maybe go buy four chickens. And um, I don't take uh, all the credit for this because I've been watching this gentleman called, uh, I, I come from a big family, so we're always buying and trying to save food. I've been following this guy called uh, Meat Dad One, and this guy's a you know professional shopper showing consumers how to go to the supermarket, buy up in bulk, cut up the meat, save it, and, and what to cook it for. This guy's a genius. So this guy's been been saving my life. Nice. We'll take that. Take note on that one. Now I just want to look at gas prices. You know they declined six percent in November alone and have fallen eight point nine percent total in the past year. Are store prices reflective of this 6% November decline, or is the consumer not feeling the benefit of this decline just yet, would you say? Yeah, so the prices of goods like, like food and gasoline you know, remain higher than, than, than American American families are accustomed to. And this is the problem, which is, which is why they, they're not feeling, uh, they may not be feeling immediate relief. I'm not feeling immediate relief. The, the relief is, and this relief, when this happens, is what Americans are judging their, um, financial outlook on, you know, there's a, there's a lag and the consumer and, and small business owner as myself, you know, are, are feeling it. Or I'm always asking, Hey, I'm not an economist, but you know, what's, what's causing this lag? You know, I would love to be a little bit quicker or, you know, get some explanation from somebody. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of us are feeling that way. All right. Thank you so much. Mike Kucharski, co-owner and vice president of JKC Trucking. Really appreciate it. Thank you for your support. And a cheap find at a thrift store turned into a six-figure windfall. A Virginia woman purchased a vase at a Richmond Goodwill store in June for $3.99. It sold for over $107,000 last week.
The bottle-shaped design features a swirling pattern blown with translucent red and opaque seafoam green glass. The woman said she noticed the vase immediately, recognizing markings indicating that it was a high-end Murano glass made in Italy. She shared photos of it on Facebook group where members identified it as Venini from the famed Italian glassworks company. Experts then confirmed the piece's authenticity. The vase was initially valued at between thirty and fifty thousand dollars, but sold for more than double the top estimate. And people in Boston reenacted an iconic event on its two hundred fiftieth anniversary Saturday. It was a key moment in American history. Have you guessed it yet? It's the Boston Tea Party. The Boston Tea Party helped pave the way for the American Revolution and eventually independence. On December 16, 1773, colonists angry with British rule boarded British cargo ships carrying tea. To protest taxation without representation, they dumped some 92,000 pounds of British tea into the murky waters of Boston Harbor. The tea would be worth nearly $2 million today. The East India Company, named for the same British company whose tea was dumped at the original Boston Tea Party, supplied tea for the reenactment. Crowds cheered as actors dressed in 18th century costumes dumped boxes of tea into the harbor. Narrators then detailed the drafting of the Declaration of Independence. And that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. And we'll be back with more stories tomorrow.